0: Snop production. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie. Your second set of parents will abandon you. Damn. When I was 19, I peed my pants in coals. <laughs> You're going to hate this. No, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> He was Woolworths and it was recently. (laughs) Uh, When did you pee your pants? A couple of months ago. I'm walking around Woolworths in my thongs and they're going squelch, squelch, squelch. Well, I just, you know, the fluid tablet, sometimes it catches me unawares. So I get it. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Okay, I'll keep going. (laughs) When I was 19, I peed my pants in coals. Granted, I was a little, very intoxicated. I hadn't yet built up the kind of tolerance that comes from the regular consumption of cheap vodka and even cheaper wine. I was at a party within walking distance of my house, and I managed to convince the long-suffering Josh that I could get from said party to my bedroom on my own with no hassles or delays. So off I trotted, heels in hand, headed towards a warm bed, by which I obviously mean the crawl space next to the toilet – What Josh didn't count on was there being a Coles between point A and point B, and everybody knows that when walking home from a big night, drunk brain takes over regular brain and leads the body towards food instead of home. I can't remember the exact details, but what I do know is this. At some point during what should have been a five-minute walk, I ended up in Coles looking for crumpets and Fanta, and I peed my pants. It was pretty close to closing time, and I must have looked an absolute mess because the security guard stared me down with a worried-slash-puzzled look on his face the second I walked in the door. Of course, drunk brain assumed he was staring at me because I looked fabulous, and that put a pretty confident spring in my step. The fact I was carrying my heels instead of wearing them and one of my false lashes was dangling off my face also didn't register with me. I sauntered through that entrance like I was walking a red carpet. I then proceeded to aimlessly wander the aisles for 20 minutes. It was somewhere between deciding on the crumpets but still not sure about the Fanta that I got the feeling. Like my bladder was suddenly and out of nowhere overflowing to the point where it had decided to start pushing out liquid whether I agreed to it or not. That feeling. I ignored it at first and continued with the more pressing decision of which fizzy drink I should buy and cuddle up with in bed. And again, if the story includes me being drunk, feel free to assume the word bed means toilet. But it got worse and worse. I even tried that subtle manoeuvre of pretending I was looking at something on the bottom shelf so I could crouch down and try to use my foot as a plug, but to no avail. This wee was happening, and it was happening now. At this point, I had three options. I could leave immediately, find some bushes outside and do my business. I could go right there in the aisle, which, although a public place, I currently had to myself. Or, option number three, I could attempt the impossible feat of reversing a waterfall, proceed to the counter and buy my desperately needed items, risking the very real possibility I would wet myself in front of a security guard and terrified checkout guy. It was 2am and I was crouching down in the dog food aisle with no shoes on. A decision clearly needed to be made. Guess which option drunk brain chose. I proceeded to the checkout with what I estimated was about 30 seconds before the urine dam exploded. Of course at this point the manager entered the scene and decided it was imperative he count every 5 cent coin ever placed into circulation and put them into little bags. This was obviously the moment a sane individual would have made a run for it, but damn it, it had taken me 20 minutes to decide I wanted those crumpets and I wasn't leaving without them. So with the security guard, manager and checkout guy all within 10 feet of me, I carried out what I thought was the only viable option left. With my crumpets and heels in one hand and Fanter in the other, I decided to let that wee flow as discreetly as possible. Drunk Brain reasoned that I really wanted those crumpets, and the chances of anybody noticing were slim. Drunk Brain was wrong. You know, when you've been busting to wee for such a long time that when you finally get to go, it just keeps coming and coming and coming? This was one of those times. Finally opening the floodgates was beyond satisfying, but within two seconds it was clear that this was no discreet operation. As the warm liquid ran down my leg and formed a puddle on the floor, I think the four of us in that coal shared an oddly intimate moment. First, they couldn't take their eyes off me. Then they stared at each other in equal parts horror and disbelief. Then back to me. And all the while I just stood there, like I was any normal lady waiting in a supermarket line, absolutely not doing a wee. When the stream finally receded, the manager was the first to snap out of our shared trance. "'Can I help you?' he asked as he motioned me over. "'Yes, thank you,' I replied as I held my head high and walked slowly over to the counter with an air of importance. Evidently, Drunk Brain had decided the only way out of this was to maintain my dignity by acting well above my station, all the while leaving wet footprints in my wake. "'I'd like to purchase these, please,' I said with a head toss.' All three of them continued to stare at me. It was like I was a crazy person with a bomb, and nobody wanted to do anything that would make me nervous. Everything was a little anticlimactic after that. I just paid for my crumpets and fanta and sashayed out of there. I didn't look back, but I'm certain the three of them stood there in shocked silence for at least another minute. Then they had to decide who was taking care of that puddle. I wet my pants in coals and didn't leave until I had bought my crumpets. Less than two years later, my uncle and aunt asked me to leave their home. I always wondered if they'd somehow discovered I had wet my pants at the local supermarket. My uncle and aunt, Ben and Natasha, were crazy wealthy. They lived in a huge mansion that was like a museum. It was very clean and there was lots of expensive art that you weren't allowed to touch. Everything was white and open plan. Spilling a drink on the carpet was considered an emergency on par with a natural disaster. My uncle would spring into action with about 10 different products, all while swearing and making me feel like I'd caused thousands of dollars worth of damage with one glass of Coke. Come to think of it, given the cost of everything in their house, I probably had. I had lived with Ben and Natasha for a little while when I was a kid, but when I went to live with them permanently at 14, they sent me straight to boarding school. So for three years, I was living with them without really living with them. All I really knew was that I wasn't allowed to put posters on my wall, and they had a dog they loved more than me. His name was Hamish. He was a West Highland White Terrier, and as a rich couple with no kids, they treated him like their one true son and heir. I fucking hated that dog and rightfully so he was awful he was awful mom I can't believe you deny he was awful he was a dickhead no let me finish but I'm just saying he was a dick and rightfully so he was awful he wasn't friendly. He wasn't affectionate. I think he's the only dog I've met in my entire life who didn't like to hug. He used to bite little kids. Then Ben and Natasha would get angry at the kids for provoking him. He walked around with a sense of entitlement that pissed me off. It reminded me of the boys at boarding school. It was like he knew I didn't belong. Whenever he looked at me, I just imagined him thinking, ugh, you're that house kid who belongs to my dad's drunk sister. Why are you here taking up my place on the couch, you commoner? Hamish was walked three times a day and given gourmet meals. In fact, I often got a smaller portion than everyone else at dinner so that Hamish wouldn't feel left out. I'll fucking leave your stupid face out, I used to think, as Ben and Natasha each chomped down on two chorizo sausages and I looked at my second one sitting in Hamish's bowl. He was basically just an all-round smug piece of shit on four legs and I hated that my new parents always seemed more excited about having him around than me. I got back at him in small, secret ways, though. When I spilled drinks on the carpet while I was home alone, I would cover it in the cleaning powder and then say Hamish had done a shit. Or when I was meant to take him to the park, I would walk him... (laughs) This is kind of mean. Or when I was meant to take him to the park, I would walk him just far enough down the road to see the park, then I would turn around and drag him home. Ours was a fairly disturbing, although in my opinion, equal sibling rivalry. But mostly I was at boarding school, so I could handle the uncomfortable life I had at the museum house with the shitty excuse for a dog. Just when I felt like I couldn't handle another second at school, I got to go home for the holidays. Then, just when I felt like I couldn't handle another second in a home that wasn't really mine, I got to go back to school. Until, of course, I finished high school, which meant living at home permanently. In the three years I'd spent living at the college, the bullying I'd experienced had taken a lot out of me. When I finally escaped the situation and had time to decompress, the depression, anxiety, and PTSD started. I mostly relied on Josh to get me through it, but that didn't stop Ben and Natasha from wondering what the hell had happened to the promising young bookworm they'd sent to boarding school three years earlier. I was withdrawn, quiet, weird. I'd stay at Josh's for days at a time. I dropped out of university after a month. They never knew that I had tried to kill myself, but they did see I was depressed, and they paid for me to go to therapy, which was incredibly generous of them. I think they thought that throwing money at the problem was going to fix it, but it wasn't that easy. My first suicide attempt after boarding school was only the beginning of a long and difficult journey of dealing with my childhood trauma, and I was not easy to deal with during that journey. By the time Josh and I broke up, Ben and Natasha were married and had two kids of their own, and were itching to live life as a family a family that didn't include the weird withdrawn niece who dropped out of uni and hid in her room all the time. I was the odd one out, the spot the random. They had promised to be my parents, but I could feel them pulling away. I first realised they were frustrated when Natasha approached me about my therapy one day. So, Rosie, she asked, how much longer do you think you'll be going to the psychiatrist for? Um, I don't know, I replied hesitantly. I hadn't really thought about it. It's really expensive, you know. I know, I said. And you've been going for two years now. Isn't it time you start winding it up? I stood in silence, a little gobsmacked. Was she telling me I had to give up therapy? Was she telling me they were sick of paying for it? We help you pay for drama school. We pay for all your psychiatrist sessions. You live here for free. It's a lot, you know. After that conversation, I freaked out. I wanted to be what they wanted, happy and together and successful and perfect, but I couldn't do it. I tried, but I just couldn't do it. The memories and the thoughts would always come back. The knife under the door, dad in the back of the paddy wagon, grandpa screaming. I couldn't get my brain to do what I wanted it to do. And even though I knew it frustrated Ben and Natasha that I was so different from what they had hoped for, I just didn't feel I could control it. "'The more I felt them pushing me away, the more anxious I became. "'I started trying to be a cool kid with the wrong kinds of people. "'Every weekend involved getting wasted and often fucking some guy in a bathroom. "'I just so badly wanted to feel wanted. "'I would hook up with whoever would take me. "'I got home one night in the middle of winter and realised I had forgotten my key, "'but rather than wake up Ben and get in trouble, "'I slept on the doorstep under the doormat for warmth.' I had a bunch of friends stay over while Ben and Natasha and the kids were away, and a few days later Natasha noticed that money was missing from one of the girls' money boxes. Those were the kinds of cool kids I was hanging out with. The hard partying was making my depression and anxiety worse. I had a job and went to drama school, but when I was at home I just hid in my room, crying and sleeping, staring at the walls, watching hours of TV, then having no memory of what I'd seen. I'd fallen into a cycle of binging and purging and starving myself, so I was hiding food and vomit all over my room. I started having panic attacks in class. I was falling to pieces without Josh. And Ben and Natasha had no freaking clue what was going on. I feel for them I really do. I was severely depressed. I can't have been easy to live with. To them, I think it just seemed like I was a belligerent, self-destructive 20-year-old with no gratitude for everything they'd done for me. The last straw was when I got my period all over an expensive pair of Natasha's undies. (laughs) I remember this. I got in so much trouble. When you're constantly fighting thoughts of suicide, you hardly think about doing washing. So I snuck into Natasha's wardrobe one day and took a pair of her knickers. And of course, when you've borrowed someone else's knickers, the universe decides to unexpectedly give you your period so you get blood all over them. "'I freaked out. These were nice, expensive undies, and I had wrecked them. "'There's no way the stains were going to wash out. "'So I hid them in my room and hoped that Natasha would forget she'd ever own them. "'She didn't forget. "'I came home from work late one night and found an envelope taped to my bedroom door. "'Inside was a letter from Ben, about five pages long, "'listing all the things that he and Natasha were pissed off at me about. "'All the things that I had been doing wrong.' All the ways in which I was selfish and awful to live with. Staying out late, being withdrawn, not doing my dishes, never talking to them, sleeping all day, taking Natasha's undies and staining them with period blood. The letter was fair. Everything he said in it was true. He may not have taken the time to try and understand the causes of my behaviour, but everything he said was accurate, and that sent me into a total meltdown. I don't think I said one word to either of them for the next two weeks. I could feel my second set of parents slipping away and one wrong move was going to destroy everything. I figured if I could just stay out of their way and try not to fuck anything up, I wouldn't piss them off again and they wouldn't ask me to go. Then they asked me to go. I was in my room after drama school one night. Door closed as usual. Ben came and knocked on the door, which he never, ever did. I answered it and he stood in the doorway almost like my room was not really part of the house and he felt awkward coming in. "'Look, Rosie, we need to talk about your living arrangements,' he said. "'My heart sank. This was it. I had ruined everything. "'You know that we're moving out to renovate soon,' he said. "'Yeah,' I replied, hoping that he was about to tell me "'we'd just be moving house for a while. "'Well, I just thought you should know that Natasha and the girls and I "'won't be taking you with us, "'so you're going to have to organise somewhere else to live. "'Natasha and the girls. "'I'd always hoped I was one of the girls.' "'Oh, okay," I replied. "'I didn't really know what to say.' We can help you financially while you get on your feet, but you should know that this is going to be a permanent thing. When the house is done, we don't plan on having a room for you here. Oh, I could feel the toxic butterflies awakening. So you should probably start looking for something as soon as possible, he said. Okay. He walked away. I shut the door and went and sat on my bed in shock. I'd come to live with them when I was 14 and I was now 20. That's almost seven years, a longer consecutive period of time than I'd ever lived with my mum. "'I considered Ben and Natasha my family "'and I'd just been told that they considered me "'nothing more than a person who lived in their house "'and soon no longer would. "'I packed a bag and left the house "'about five minutes after that conversation. "'I never spent another night there. "'I went to stay with Rhiannon, sleeping on her couch. "'A few weeks later, we drove to Ben and Natasha's "'to pick up my stuff. "'They had dumped everything on the porch "'and used my doona to cover it all from the rain. "'It smelled like it had been out there for a while. "'I never heard from them again.' They never called to check up if I was okay. They never called to see where I had ended up. It was like I'd never been part of their lives. I bet Hamish was fucking thrilled. I spent the next year couch hopping. I stayed with Rhiannon for a while. I stayed with Mum for a while. I stayed with Tony for a while. I was lost and alone and had nowhere to go. I knew exactly what I needed. I needed another boy to save me. Oh... That was really hard, Mum. Does that make you angry? (coughs) Yes, very angry. Does it? But I honestly think it was mainly because I wasn't what they were expecting. And in hindsight, like, I do have a lot of... I do take a lot of responsibility for how hard it must have been. Like, I think it's shitty that they didn't ask me how I was or what was wrong. Because obviously something was wrong. Like, I was... In my room, never coming out. To me, looking back, it had to have been so obvious that I was, like, severely depressed and really struggling and that there was something up. Well, they always knew something was wrong because you were seeing a psychiatrist. Yeah, but that had been when I first left high school. I mean, this, a couple of years, I'd been at drama school for a couple of years by this point, so... But it was after Josh and I broke up that I really just started to lose it and get depressed and never come out of my room and never really wanted to talk to them. And and so from their point of view, I can understand they were like, who is this girl? Like, I went to live with them because they thought I had promise, you know. I was like the good one who was going to do something and they sent me to this fancy school and then I was going to go to uni and which to me just frustrates me even more now because, like, why was I worth their time more than Taylor was or Rihanna was? But anyway, um, and so then I wasn't what they were expecting. I was a letdown. I think it pissed them off. I think that pissed them off, and I think also when I was depressed, they misinterpreted my really severe depression for, like, rudeness, I guess, maybe? I don't know. But I still can't believe, like, they just... I can still remember when Ben came and knocked on my door and told me that they were moving and they weren't taking me with them and there wouldn't be a room for me when they got back. I didn't know what to do. He had left that letter on my door a couple weeks earlier, the five-page letter, with all the things that were making them mad. (laughs) Like, that I never came out of my room and... And that I was, you know, going out late and, and, but I mean, in hindsight, everything in that letter that was pissing them off, like it it's was true. just, it was true, but it was like very clear signs that I was mentally unravelling and instead of trying to sort of take the time to understand why I was suddenly so different, mm. they just got really like, Frustrated with me and asked me to leave, and and I also lost all my drama school friends because like I wasn't going to drama school anymore. Well, you didn't lose all of them. No, I didn't. No, I don't mean I lost them. They're all still my friends today. But I mean, like at the time, everything Mm. changed so substantially, so suddenly. Like I suddenly, I was I was broken up with Josh. I wasn't seeing my drama school friends anymore. I wasn't living in my same house anymore like it was all very sudden and awful and and i was too embarrassed to call them because i felt Oh what? And, and you know when i spoke to him like last year yeah about dad yeah it, so that's the first time you'd heard that i'd spoken to him mm. and he'd read the book and when mm. he told you he didn't like and he it didn't, yeah they didn't they weren't happy with what you wrote about them But I thought I was really generous. Like, I said what happened. I said that they asked me to leave, but I also said that essentially it was my fault. Like, I would have been a nightmare to live with. Like, I was completely mentally unravelling and I was not the girl they'd signed up for. And, I mean, my one sticking point is that I, you know, think that they could have put in more of an effort to figure out what was wrong. But I still, like, I don't... Blame them, really, for asking me to leave. But I was I really hurt I and surprised. suppose it is one thing, though, Rosie. Having you at boarding school where you weren't there all the time. Yeah. I think having and me And at... having you not at boarding school and being there 24 hours a day. Yeah, I think it wasn't that what they were expecting. Big, that would have made a big difference to them. And by the time I finished boarding school, they had kids, you know? Like, it was a different... Gosh! It was a very different house to what I'd moved into when I was fourteen. It was it was terrible, the babysitting that um, you had to do. No, like, it wasn't. No, you, you had to you had to cancel things because um, all of a sudden, you had to babysit oh. without any notice. That ah. that happened a couple of times, Rosie. I remember. Yeah, but I didn't really mind that. I really loved oh, my cousins. Okay. That made me sad, never getting to see them again. Because they were like my little sisters. Well, that, this is this those is girls. Is... I I really loved them both, Ben and Natasha. And it was hard living there, but I spent a significant chunk of my childhood with them. I lived with them for almost a year when I was in Year Seven. I spent every weekend with them for a year when I was a, a kid in primary school, and then I went permanently to live with them when I was fourteen. And even though I was at boarding school, you know. It was still my home and there was still, like, you know, essentially, like, second parents to me and then their two daughters were, like, my little sisters and then, like, they asked me to leave and I just never heard from them again. It's really, um, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't called them either, <laughs> so... But I guess I was embarrassed, like, because I knew that when they asked me to leave, I had been a total mess and I was just embarrassed. And, um, but I just thought, like, they never even called to, like, see how I was, check if I was okay, like, nothing. It was really hard for me when I was living there because, um, you hated him so much and he hated you so much And so I felt like I was kind of in no man's land. Like, I was too much your daughter that it pissed him off. But when I came to see you, I was, like, too much his now that it pissed you off. Like, I felt like I was never, I was just stuck in between. And you and Rhiannon used to give me so much shit about living on the North Shore and his big mansion. And I was like, yeah, but it's not easy there, you guys. (laughs) Like, it's really not. It wasn't. But I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm not mad. I don't think they're bad people, but I just, it just makes me sad. I miss them. I miss my cousins. Well, I mean, I don't really know them. it's been, they'd be teenagers now. They were toddlers when I was there, but um, it just makes me sad. Like, I can't believe that they just never contacted me again. Anyway, I've I've already given you my opinion on that. Yes, so I know I it makes you very angry. I won't mention it again. Okay. And then there was the dog, Mum Hamish. Oh no! <laughs> you... Cruelty to the dog. I wasn't cruel. That's the cruelest thing I've ever heard. He was an awful dog. He was so awful. I've never met a dog who oh, isn't friendly. Friend. Silly. He was like a snobby cat dog. I, like He was just the worst. I used to see him when I used to go over there. He was awful. And, dog. And I just, he made me mad. Okay. How often did you used to take him for a walk? Oh, they barely trusted me to take him <laughs> for a walk. So it hardly no ever happened. No wonder. But, um. We're uh, giving him strychnine as well. Giving him what? It's poison that they give. Oh you. come on! I'm not a sociopath. <laughs> just, I just, this just this got this back this at him this, at, this in this little ways. Bump him off. That made me feel better. Like yeah, uh, I thought he was. I thought he was a bit spoiled. He was very spoiled. I just thought he was a dog. You know. He no. He was their child because they had him for a long time before they had kids, and. The amount of times everyone got two sausages and I got one because he got the other one. They would cook an extra sausage. He deserved. They cooked an extra one. Actually, when I read that though, that was pretty mean. Taking him so far that he could see the park and then not taking him. That is really slack. I can't believe I did that. (laughs) But it was so satisfying at the time. Well, I suppose you, at least you walked in to where he could see the park. Well, yeah, he got a bit of a walk. So you still, like, walk. Yeah, in. but you'd walk, like, through streets with houses on the lead and the park was, like, a, a, a leashless park. So, like, oh, well, he didn't actually he got get, to get to do walk. the, it's he got like, to walk. it's like walking at Disneyland and looking at it and then turning around and going home. <laughs> like, it was pretty slack. And then when I I realized when I used to spill drinks that I could blame it on him. If I just put the cleaning powder on top of it and then I'd just say, oh, Hamish threw up. Yeah, I think. um See, that wasn't slack. That was just smart. I used to I used to think he was a bit spoiled, that's all, with what the food that they used to give him. He but was spoiled, but he was also an awful dog. He didn't even love them. Like, he'd never hugged them. He never, like... Dogs don't hug, Rosie. Yes, they do. They don't. They jump up on Hog- people and stuff like Dogs that. Dogs are, like, renowned for just giving you, like,
1: a dog, unconditional a dog love. Hug.
0: Unconditional love. And he did not give unconditional like love. Penny. He gave, like... Penny. He gave, like... Nothing. He was just like, <laughs> get away from me, everyone. Like yeah, he was his, just, pedig- his pedigree was too high. It was. Well, the, he, that, he certainly thought it was higher than mine. It got flown up from Melbourne or something. It's like he knew I was when, a poor foster kid, drunk mum. He was such a Yeah, I don't really shit. like – I mean, you keep on saying that you were a houseer kid. You only lived in the Department of Housing for one or two years. It was more than that. No, was it? It wouldn't have been much more than that. It was so. No, no, because we were at the um, Smurf village, and then we were at the other place for ages. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't amount to. Ah, excusez moi. We were at Smurf Village. We moved to Smurf Village when I was in kindergarten, and we left that place in no, Eastwood. It's not like you were brought up in department. We Hally. left. You weren't that place in Eastwood You're to move to the Blue Mountains when I was in Year Five. So that's kindergarten, Year One, Year Two, Year Three, Year Four. No, year no, five. no. That's no. six years. I'm sorry. We moved and came back a bunch I in between because you were like drunk ass. But I mean, I am sorry, Mom, I disagree with you. Smurf Village in kindergarten. And then Eastwood, you were living with Brian in that Housing Commission house when me and Rhiannon got back from Foster Care and we Brian, lived there. And I was in your five. It was two years max. Mom, I'm telling you the actual timeline right what you now. Tell me. You're, you cannot argue with time. Yes, I can, No, you because can't. Because it's your time, Rosie. It's no, your time. No, but I'm telling you, we moved to Smurf Village when I was my in time. kindergarten. Because, is accurate. Oh my my god, time is no. accurate. Yours is inaccurate. People don't live according to different times. I'm talking about actual years. I'm talking about actual years in history. Oh my god! I'm going to punch your face, mom. Stop it! I can tell you're just loving that I'm getting really angry. You think this is really funny? <laughs> anyway, we, no, no, I can't. I'm really mad about this now. And I know this <laughs> is all going to get edited out because it's boring yes, for man. everyone. But I feel like I can't. We moved to Smith Village when I was in kindergarten. We left that Housing Commission house in Eastwood at the end of Year 5 because I started at Blue Mountains. That's public school in the Blue Mountains in Year 6. So that's kindergarten to Year 5 that we were in and out of Housing Commission. In and out, yeah. Mainly out. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, whatever, whatever, whatever. All right. Is there any more about the dog? What, what do, you do you want? It is there any? Do you want to call me a sociopath no. any more times? I didn't call you a sociopath. You called yourself one. Thank you. You asked me and if you I should thought, be ashamed of yourself. You said you are surprised I didn't <laughs> poison him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call that? <laughs> Strychnine. Oh, he was a little dickhead. Anyway. Apparently, that's what they give dogs or something. How do you know that? Because I've heard it. Yeah, right. People like when they're having. Um, Disagreements, neighbours—they throw meat over the fence, and it's got poison in it, or snail—you know, this um, snail bait. Well, no, that never even apparently fucking crossed my people, mind. Apparently, a crazy person. <laughs> people do that. I just couldn't be bothered taking him to the park. Jesus. No, because you've been cruel to him. Cruel. He anyway. was cruel. All right. We're <laughs> we done. <laughs> Are we done please? <laughs> Oprah. <laughs> In the next episode oh, That's hard to read, mum. It was not so to me that like wasn't... because suicide constant suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation is a symptom that I've had as part of my PTSD. So, and it was really bad for a while in my like mid 20s, back around when I was with Luca. Yeah. And I had been feeling that bad for a while. And I'd dealt with these suicide, constant suicidal thoughts for a while. And this was the first time I'd actually said, actually, wait, I'm not going to let my you know, emotions take over, I'm actually going to go to the hospital and tell them what I'm thinking because then they'll help me and they just want to send you home. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. Listener